When you enrich the lives of your employees through purpose-powered leadership, they'll grow your business for you. Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where you'll discover how to champion a culture of courage and love. Stop dealing with symptoms and get to the root of the problems in your business. This is the Higher Purpose Podcast with your host, Kevin Monroe. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. We're continuing a series of conversations with business leaders and owners who are in business on purpose. We're calling it the Profiles of Purpose in Business series. Today's conversation is the 10th in this series. We've got two more coming your way before we close the loop on this. So if you've missed any of the conversations in this series, you might want to go back and catch up. You can do that in your podcast player, or you can do it on our website, higherpurposepodcast.com, or a special page, purposeprofiles.com, that just has these conversations for your listening pleasure. In today's episode, we're joined by Lisa Cooper. Lisa comes from Boise, Idaho. She's the founder of Figure 8 Investment Strategies, which brings a multicultural perspective to providing financial advice and investment management for individual and organizational clients. Lisa is also the co-founder of Global Talent Idaho, a nonprofit organization that helps skilled refugees and immigrants find appropriate careers in this, their new country. This is going to be a fun conversation. Let me thank Russ Stoddard. He was my guest back on episode 38 that's also a part of this same series. Russ is the person that introduced me to Lisa. So thank you, Russ. And here we go. Hey, Lisa Cooper, it is a delight to welcome you to the Higher Purpose podcast today. And, and I'd like you to tell us something about you that might not always make it into your formal introductions. Well, I've been working at this intersection of business and purpose um, for a long time, really about 25 years. And um, my work has all been in the world of socially responsible investing or what we now call impact investing. And um, the field has grown and evolved a lot over those years. Um, And, you know, in the work that I do now, uh, we're still using some of those same old tools that we used 25 years ago, and they're still pretty powerful. Um, But I look at all of this as a real evolution. And uh, uh, so even though we could pat ourselves on the back, I think, as an industry and say, look at all the great things we've done, um, there's a a lot more we can do. And um, so I like to think I bring that perspective to doing this work. Okay. Well, Lisa, right there in the opening, you've teed up several paths for us to follow. And I want to chase a couple of these in a moment. First off, I want to observe that you were working at the intersection of business and purpose before most people knew there was an intersection of business and purpose. So I'd love to uh, tell me, how did, how did that start for you 25 years ago? You're, you're an early adopter, obviously, but what was it that got you started back then? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, <laughs> go way back and look at at, at my parents um, who were, um, you know, raised a family of, um, uh, of vegetarians who um, went to peace rallies um, every weekend. And uh, okay. um, so I had a really strong social consciousness, um, you know, through my early years. Um, and I also, you know, um, uh, parents that sort of pounded into me that everything you do has impact on other people. Wow. Um, and so, you know, I, when I started getting to the point where it's time for me to go to college and think about career and, um, 
I thought it would end up in one of the helping professions, and I thought that might be medicine, you know, or maybe doing something in a nonprofit arena. And um, and I've touched on those things in in, in my career, but um, uh, but. I ended up working in a, a, a small business. Um, there was a greeting card company that at the time made um, greeting cards out of sourcing recycled paper, which no one did at the time. This is even longer than 25 years ago. Um, <laughs> so I'm dating myself, right? But, um, uh, and I thought, my goodness, this is fun. This is exciting. We're making money, giving people something they can't find other places, and we're sourcing it in a socially responsible way that's changing the way other businesses yeah. operate. And it's opening up this sort of world of possibilities. This is cool. This is the kind of thing I wow. want to do. And so that was before I um, went to business school. And I went to Wharton um, many years ago. I graduated in 91. Um, and while I was there, you know, at the time, this, the term corporate social responsibility didn't really exist. There were a handful of companies that were sort of um, experimenting with this mm-hmm. this early model of how do you how do you weave purpose into business? Um, you know, Ben and Jerry's, the Body Shop, Patagonia. Um, but when I talked about those things in my classes or with my peers, um, it, what people could access, what they understood, was that you go out, you do your business, you make lots of money, and then you're charitable on the other side. And there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it leaves so much possibility on the table, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that's what things looked like, you know, when I started in this field 25 years ago. And it's really interesting that the people who sort of spurred my career development um, were a group of nuns um, who were asking uh, <laughs> an investment firm at the time, um, which was Shearson Lehman. Um, asking them to uh, manage an investment portfolio for them um, that did exactly that, that wove their values into how they were investing. And they had no, this investment team had no idea of how to do it. They said, let's go out and find someone who can help us Wow. figure out how to do this. And that was me. And what, you know, <laughs> that was 25 years ago. So <laughs> how fascinating, how fascinating. Yeah. 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 And the nuns, the nuns have spurred a lot of change and, and have helped me a lot personally. So it's wonderful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for sharing that. And I love this, uh, that this journey began. And uh, maybe we'll come back and explore the nuns in a, in a few moments. But, uh, fast forward to today. At this point in time, how do you describe your personal purpose? So I think my, you know, my overall personal purpose is, um, is to use business as a platform to create social change. And business is a really, potentially really powerful force. Um, I have had the benefit of learning ways to do that, um, both in my formal education um, and through, you know, through the experience I've had. Um, so, um, Figure Eight is is the platform now. I launched Figure Eight Investment Strategies two years ago, and we are living that purpose in a couple different ways. Um, one is that um, you know at the heart of what we do is helping people meet their financial goals, which is certainly a um, uh, you know core purpose to our our work. Um, and in doing that, we are helping um, uh, people to use their investment assets along the way, where we're integrating and then. Um, Kind of optimize the social impact that those investments have, um, which you can do as a small investor or as a large investor. Um, there are lots of possibilities for doing that. So that's sort of the what of what we do. And then um, we also um, 
And this is really where I think where, where Figure 8 departs from my prior firms and that um, is in the how we do what we do. And um, we'll probably talk a little bit more about, about how our team is formed, but um, our team is um, very intentionally um, diverse. Um, uh, they're people largely who do not have um, backgrounds in investment management, um, but who bring to the table um, experience, um, smarts, um, resilience, um, and a, a sort of a, um, a very um, uh, a global awareness um, that um, conventional investment teams may not have. And um, so we want to have that kind of intentional diversity reflected in our, in our um, staff. Um, and ultimately, we'd like to see that in our client base, too. That will take us a long time, but it's a it's a long term goal for okay. figure eight. So so, Lisa, you know, as I hear you describe that, all of a sudden I see the, the golden circle. Simon Sinek is famous and for drawing uh, the start with why that why is there at the center. We've already heard some of your why. The next circle out is the how the further circle out is the what. And, he, you know, his point is that most people know what they do. Some people can really struggle to distinguish the how. And then very few people can really articulate the why. So when I hear you, all of a sudden, I see very clearly, you, you know your why, you know your how, you know your what, and you also overlay on this a very unique who. And you were just talking about that, both, both who's involved in the process and who you serve. So before we go deeper into that, let me ask, what's your favorite way of introducing figure eight? How, when, when, when you're asked yeah. to introduce figure eight, how do you tell people about figure eight? Uh, I tell people that we are an investment management firm that helps people and institutions uh, meet their financial goals and also create social impact along the way. Okay. So that's a beautiful thing that this meets your goals. So uh, while fueling social change and social impact. Um, so we'll go deeper in that in a moment. But there's a story behind figure eight, the name. Tell us a little there, bit about that. Sure. <laughs> sure. Well, my mother came up with the name um, and uh, because I was a figure skater. So when I was playing around with what I wanted to do with figure eight, um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a good time to back up and say, you know, I had the, the 20 plus years of work in investment management and in particular in social investment management. Um, I stepped off the path for a little while to be mom and be with my family. And um, um, while I was doing that, I got deeply involved in the refugee resettlement community here in Boise, Idaho. Um, Boise is a big refugee resettlement community. And I ended up founding an organization, co-founding an organization called Global Talent Idaho, which helps um, highly skilled um, refugees and other immigrants um, uh, find pathways um, to reclaim those careers or to be able to use the skills and backgrounds that they had before um, in something that um, uh, isn't just mopping floors, not mm -hmm. to diminish the value of mopping floors, but, um, you know, when you have doctors and engineers and teachers and accountants who have um, many, a great deal of accumulated experience, that's their identity. Um, uh, and uh, uh that gets lost. Anyway, in any any case, I started Global Talent Idaho and then decided to come back to investment management in a way that would pull those two worlds together. So the circles, the two nicely balanced circles of, of the eight um, 
represent a lot of what we're trying to do with figure eight. Um, and, uh, you know, ultimately that really does come down to a balance between the financial and social, between the global and local. And then for me personally, um, between my work um, and uh, uh, knowledge of investment management and of um, uh, really workforce development and job training. And so we're doing those things here. And um, uh, so, so that name, <laughs> figure eight, um, my mother came up with, um, uh, because I used to be a figure skater. Um, we had already been playing with this imagery of circles. My whole family was sitting around at dinner one night and, um, and we were all brainstorming what could, what, what, what would be a name that would represent this sort of vision that I was articulating. And, um, and my mother kept saying, it needs to be something about you. And I kept saying, I don't want it to have my name on it <laughs> um, because this should be bigger than me, much bigger than me. And, and so figure eight was born. Well, Lisa, I love that. I, I love that the name has deep personal roots and connection for you. I love how also the name represents this ongoing um, challenge to balance what you what you just said the social and the financial the the uh global and the local the the personal commitment to do workforce development and financial investment it's it it symbolizes a lot to you and it's always there that reminder you know that that we're we're harmonizing all of these pieces of the business so that leads me to ask what's different then about or how is figure eight different from a traditional investment firms those firms you may have worked at in the past yeah yeah i think um you know we're different from the traditional investment firm because we think about the social and environmental impacts of everything that we do you know our portfolios i like to think are very well structured the same way that you would find a well structured portfolio from most professionals in this business um, uh, but um, you know dig a little deeper and there's um, a story of social impact um, you know with almost every asset that we own so that's different our clients are different in that they come to us um, and they come with you know they look at their um, at, at their financial assets um, as um, as a tool for creating, intentionally creating social change. So they come to us with that intention. They don't just want to be able to support their retirement. They want the dollars that they're investing while they're working towards retirement to be working towards creating a better world while they're doing that, right? So our clients look different. Our work looks different. The portfolios look a little different. And again, our team looks different. This is an exceptionally white male dominated industry. Um, we could unpack all the reasons that that's true, but, um, uh, but it is, it is in finance largely and in investment management, asset management, it's especially true. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not to say that there's anything um, that, that there shouldn't be white males in investment management, but it is exceptionally non-diverse. How do you change that? How do you start to change that? And um, I think that um, when, you know, there, there are all sorts of studies about the power of diversity on good decision making. Mm -hmm. you know, and that's really what's, you know, at the heart of what we do as investment managers, we're always making decisions. If everybody walks into the room with the same worldview and the same background, um, your decision making may be easy. 
It may not take very long, right? Um, but it, you'll come to, you're likely to come to a pretty different conclusion than if you have people who are bringing very different perspectives. Right. Um, if everybody's the, thinking the same, then, then right. nobody's thinking is what patents. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so if everybody like has the same journey, right. the same worldview, the same outlook, yeah. you, like you say, decisions are quick and easy, but but they're not really rich and robust. And, and right. So let's talk about who's around the table. And, and I want to talk about this at two yeah. dimensions because I believe both apply to you. The people that you serve as clients, you have mm-hmm. a your goal is not just to serve uh, and, and to do wealth management for the wealthy, right? the elite, but you want to serve a broader clientele. And then who's around the table helping you, what you said a moment ago, that this uh, intentionally diverse team. So talk about that intentional diversity at both levels. Right. Let, let's take right. the client level first. Okay. Yeah, sure. And and what we looked like today is a start and what we want our client sort of diversity to look like over years. So we certainly have clients who look like conventional investment management firm clients. You know, they they have significant wealth that they've accumulated or inherited. Um, again, they come to it with intention um, to do, um, you know, to create social change along the way. Um, but they often um, have done uh, have really unique um, um, livelihoods or career paths themselves. So we have a couple clients who are very involved with sustainable agriculture. Those have been that's been their livelihood. One who's um, um, very um, uh, passionate about um, uh, wild foods um, and um, harvesting. Um, and understanding all the potential food sources around us. We have another who is um, very involved with um, soil conservation, restoration. Um, we have um, clients who I mentioned nuns before. We have we have clients who are um, faith based, um, and clients who. Um, uh, uh, have done a really deep exploration of faith um, and who have shared that with us. And so that we know that what we're expressing to them is sort of, you know, um, um, yeah. a very deep level of uh, goal setting for them. Um, and we can help their money reflect that. So uh, some of our clients also are not um, uh, sort of conventional investment management clients. They're what we would call emerging investors. Um, a couple of those um, are, are um, uh, uh, one's a refugee himself and one is uh, or came here as a refugee himself and one um, uh, is the daughter of um, people who came here as refugees who um, is, uh, uh, has a great job, is working hard, is saving and investing um, and wanting to do that in a way that, again, connects those circles, the, you know, the financial and the social. Okay, so your your clientele, the people you serve, are different and across the spectrum. And and uh, the one thing I hear is you're not putting necessarily an asset test um, that that people have to clear this threshold of income before they work with our firms. And I know there are firms that are like that. You know, we're wealth management firm right. for the one percent, uh, right. and you're wanting to right. diversify that and help people at any level secure their future or grow their grow their future and their ability to live the future they want. Right. There are really good reasons that the industry doesn't serve um, people with lower net worth, right? Because it's not profitable. And in fact, <laughs> I mean, it's really not profitable. Like 
you know, the amount of work and effort that goes into helping people, you would, you would lose your shirt. You know, you wouldn't, you you wouldn't be a profitable firm. So, you know, I think what we're doing today is working with, uh, um, some clients that fit that profile. Um, uh, what our longer term quest is to figure out, um, a model where we can serve those people well, um, people who fit that profile, um, in a way that's sustainable. Yeah. Um, I don't, we're not, we're certainly not the only ones working on this. Um, but, uh, it's, uh, uh, it's core to our mission. Um, we think about it every day. We're learning every day. We're developing models that we're sort of testing on our existing clients, not on their investment assets, but rather on the process and seeing what we can do efficiently. Um, and I will tell you that what I think we'll end up doing eventually is doing this in a way that is that involves community that we mm. you know, that, that uh, um, uh, we think that investing circles are probably a way that, that help us get to nice. the place we want to be. Yeah, like yeah that. but that's long term. We're not there yet. <laughs> I understand. So we're not going to yeah. go deep yeah. there, but just that in the in the future horizon, you see an opportunity, perhaps, to do something to broaden the access to the services by investing as a community rather than just as an individual. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, the the ultimate goal is not the services that we're providing. It's, I mean, it's, it's the education, it's financial right. literacy, it's empowering right. people to make good decisions themselves. Because what we see with the wealth gap that we have now in this country is, you know, and that's growing is that that happens at lots of different levels, right? Um, and one of the places that that's happening, which you know impacts or or that that is um, that's tangential to our to our work, is around financial or investment literacy. People start to make money and they go to the mall or they go to Amazon and they start clicking, right? And and there's not um, there aren't easily accessible tools and information. Um, and uh, or peer networks that are you know helping people to realize that when they do start to um, earn money, that they've got these choices that they have long-term implications for themselves, their kids, their families. That's been the province of the people who are already privileged enough to have significant assets. So how do we start to change that? I don't pretend for a minute that we're going to, you know, do what we call change the face of finance, you know, ourselves for a little firm in Boise, Idaho. Um, but we can show that things can be done a bit differently. Yeah. And that's, you know, we want to hope to forge a model um, and, um, uh, and to show what can be done, um, even if on a small scale. Okay, so Lisa, the other part of this who that you alluded to earlier yeah. in the conversation that I want to come back to, and that's who's involved from your team and and what are the skills and perspectives they bring that are not necessarily uh, that are a bit non-traditional and how that right. benefits your mission. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, where we've started isn't necessarily where we'll end up. Um, and it's very, um, you know, very much based on our demographics in Boise um, and on my um, own set of professional connections. So I mentioned Global Talent Idaho earlier. Um, uh, four of our current professionals of our team um, come uh, from Global Talent Idaho um, or, or came through that training program. 
Um, and all of those people had thriving careers in other countries, um, three of them who arrived in the United States and in Boise as refugees. Um, so they bring um, multiple language skills, um, understanding of um, other cultures and having lived and traveled in, for most of them in multiple other countries on their quest here. Um, and they have deep understanding of other industries. One's a civil engineer. Um, one is uh, a medical doctor. Um, one is um, uh, from a family of that were previously um, uh, landowners and um, small um, business owners. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and and the other had a background in finance, um, uh, but in a very different context. Um, so uh, when we sit around the table, um, you know, often our conversation. Um, revolve, you know, begins with, well, this is how this product or resource was sourced mm. in my country. I see it, how it, this works here. Um, I see what this company is doing and this is really smart or this is groundbreaking or this mm. is, uh, um, uh, something that would not work um, in uh, other cultures. Um, so uh, I'm just trying to give kind of vague examples, but... Um, but uh, a very holistic understanding of mm -hmm. supply chain and the impact of the portfolio is what I'm hearing at, at a level yeah. that, that wouldn't happen in other conversations. It doesn't happen in other conversations unless you intentionally try to create it in other conversations. Right. And so I've had the benefit of working with a lot of different types of investment teams and a lot of us who have come from sort of standard upper middle class American backgrounds, right? So um, we make one set of decisions. Um, I, I um, had the opportunity to work with an emerging markets team um, uh, for a couple of years. And that emerging markets team looked a lot like our team right now, right? Um, uh, they're all people who had changed careers, who had not started out in finance. They're all people who had um, uh, been raised and had their early careers in other countries. Um, they largely came to the U.S because they um, uh, were able to do that. They came here for um, advanced education um, and ended up ultimately changing careers and working in investment management. Those people um, were um, highly respected, um, still are, I shouldn't put it in past tense, highly paid. Um, and um, in terms of background and in terms of um, uh, intelligence experience and um, uh sort of the, the accumulated skill they brought to the table don't look very different from my team, except that my team, having arrived here with um, under duress, under you know, fairly traumatic circumstances um, for the most part, um, didn't have those pathways available to them at all, right? Um, it's, a, it's a unique group of people, certainly, highly skilled refugees arriving in the United States in Boise, Idaho. Um, but we are, um, we've embarked on a training program um, that involves both, you know, um, uh, uh, industry-specific learning um, and certifications, and it also involves um, more advanced English. Um, and so far, so good. It's really hard work, right, to, to jump over those. Yeah. Um, uh, I wouldn't call them barriers. I would call them, well, jumping through hoops. Let's keep yeah. stick with the, with the circle analogy, right? Um, but I would say that teaching those things is 
um, infinitely easier than um, teaching someone. You can't teach someone that accumulated life learning, the skills and knowledge of another industry or of another country, nor can you teach the resilience that has been sort of um, um, demonstrated by from people who have had to you know, um, keep going through really, um, um, really, really challenging circumstances. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. And then, and, and as I said, that training model is working well. Um, it's something that we're doing that's really different from the rest of the industry. I mean, we have talked with multiple other firms here in Boise and people who are, who I know on a personal level share my values, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, talk with them about, well, would you, would you maybe hire someone who has this kind of background? Would you be willing to do an internship or host an internship with someone who, 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 you know, maybe doesn't have, um, uh, some of the conventional things that you would look for in investment management? Um, and most firms, um, it's really a resource allocation issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. that takes more time and perhaps money, um, than we're willing to do in this fast paced environment. Um, so how do you start to change things in this white male dominated industry? Well, I think a lot of it comes back to training and development. Okay. A lot of it. And so I am hoping um, our goal or one of our goals is to show that it can be done and it can be done in a relatively um, um, identifiable period of time, you know, whether that's one, two, three years, um, and then it could be done well. And then that might be translated to, um, other groups of people that typically haven't had access to this industry. Does that make sense? It does. It does make sense. Uh, and I want to unpack that in just a moment and go a little deeper in that. But first I've got something exciting to share with you. And then I'm going to come back and ask Lisa specifically, what is something else Figure eight does differently because of their commitment to purpose. So we'll be right back after this. Do you ever think that your work could be a little less ordinary? There's not much in between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at kevindmonroe.com slash extraordinary to get ready to take your team, your leadership, or your customers to the next level. That's kevindmonroe.com slash extraordinary. Hey, welcome back. And as promised, I can't wait to explore this with you, Lisa. So you, you just talked about all of the staffing that you were doing uh, and the training and, and how you look at sourcing of talent differently. Is there something else that you do differently because of this commitment to purpose that, that's at the heart of Figure Eight? Sure. Um, you know, our investment portfolios, as I said, the, the what <laughs> looks yeah. different, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, our job um, as investment managers is to put together an investment portfolio that helps our client meet their unique goals. And basically, we're putting together the pieces of a puzzle. Um, from a pure investment perspective, we're taking different asset classes. You could just take something very simple, stocks, bonds, and cash. Right. Those are the pieces of the puzzle. And um, uh, let's put those together in a way that reflects our clients, um, our clients, risk tolerance, um, return expectations, um, mm-hmm. you know, time horizon, all of those things. Then we have a set of tools that we use that conventional investment managers do not use. So um, 
those tools, there are four tools, um, we can apply differently across those asset classes. So I, you know, and I often talk about we take this pie chart of assets, we take our three or four asset classes and our four tools and we put them together. And the tools um, are, first of all, um, um, screening, which is the most basic of the tools. So clients tell us there are things they just don't want reflected in their portfolios. That's often um, something like tobacco or guns um, or mm-hmm. other weapons. Um, that these days is fairly um, um, easy to do, whether you're doing it on an individual security level or with um, product with mutual funds or exchange-traded funds. Um, the second tool um, is what we call ESG integration. It's basically taking environmental and social and corporate governance factors about any given entity and using those factors to determine um, whether or not the, the the security is financially attractive. Um, we could unpack that one a lot. It's a um, uh, it's a very fast growing part of the whole mm-hmm. social investment arena. Um, but I like to think of it as um, making us smarter investors. Basically, you're looking at things that not all investors look at mm. with the idea that you're going to learn something um, that others might not see, and that's going to give you an advantage in making better investment decisions. So okay, so you've mentioned two tools, right? Yep. There are two yep. more. Yep, there are. So second, third one is um, being an active investor. Um, and that means engaging, um, as a shareholder, this is particularly with, with equities. Um, and, uh, uh, that means talking with management of companies, um, writing letters, um, filing shareholder resolutions and voting proxies, um, which more and more investment managers in the conventional realm are doing, which is fantastic to see. So that's tool number three. We have a pretty big commitment to that. And then the fourth tool is, um, is targeting um, for specific kinds of impact that can be in the publicly traded markets or outside of the publicly traded markets. And often this comes down to a thematic approach. So if we have investors who are very passionate about sustainable agriculture, we may be able to um, find ways um, to invest specifically um, to advance um, more use of sustainable agricultural practices. Um, we um, have quite a large number of our clients who want to invest locally here in Idaho. And so we have um, uh, vehicles where um, clients can invest in community economic development um, here. Um, and we have clients who are in other places where um, we also can often provide them with that opportunity. Um, that's usually outside the publicly traded markets. So those are the four tools. Um, screening, ESG integration or using sustainability to be a smarter investor, um, being an active owner, um, uh, active shareholder, and um, uh, doing investing for, in a targeted way um, for impact. And all of that is um, incorporated across our portfolios. Okay, so th- this is fascinating. I want to ask you a different question for just a moment and, and yeah. pull back from going deep into your business and this specific a- around the work you do with your clients. I want to ask for you personally, when uh, and figure eight, as you said earlier, is just two years old. You've got this 25-year history in investment. As you were looking at starting your business, mm-hmm. what were some decisions you made? How how did you integrate your personal and professional purpose into this 
work that you're doing now. And, you know, thinking that we've got people listening that may not, they're thinking, well, how do I do what Lisa's done in my arena? I'm not an investor, but, you know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned that that can be applied broadly there to any business? Yeah, yeah. I think, um, I think I can answer that on a couple of different levels. I think, um, when I think about every decision, um, that's involved with running a business, um, I think, is there a way to do this that, um, might have a better set of, of impacts or outcomes? Um, so, um, sourcing decisions yeah. if we're um you know <laughs> we're buying paper um it's 100 percent post-consumer recycled paper um can we put that into a policy um that may not be a hard and fast policy but that are guidelines for how we source ourselves yeah we can do that um how does that play out um in other ways when we order lunch when we decide what conferences to go to when we decide how to get there um, I think we are doing that balancing act that we talked about, right? <laughs> um, with every one of those decisions along the way. Um, that's certainly also the case in how we've built our team. Um, this industry that we're in is very fast paced. Um, to, um, you know, we have a real commitment to, as I said, to, you know, to, to, or we have, uh, having that type of, of, um, of diversity, um, and, um, uh, multicultural backgrounds, yeah. um, which often means having to move at a different pace. Um, you know, when you've got people with really similar backgrounds, you make decisions really quickly. Um, so we have to slow down a little bit. Um, and sometimes that's challenging and we have to remind ourselves of why we're doing it. Okay, so I, I love this. Back again, it comes back to that figure eight that there's always this this balancing and harmonizing different goals and objectives, and, and the short term and the long term, and that it's, if I may, both the big decisions of what we do as a business and the very little daily decisions we do. There's a way to harmonize all of that so it's consistent with your values and your uh, purpose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's right. And thinking, you know, um, I think it really helps to have, I'm looking at our, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm looking at our mission and, um, our sort of strategy screen It helps to have those guideposts so that when you're looking at, as you said, the big decisions or the little day to day things to check in, um, and, that's been very important for us. Okay. Talk a little bit about the process that you used to create those guideposts in figure eight. Hmm. Um, 
Okay, so I'm, I'm going to pause here. Yeah. And I'm going to yeah. say, for you that are listening that are not able to see what I'm seeing right now <laughs> as I'm asking Lisa this question, Lisa goes into this dramatic pause, and I can tell she's thinking deep and reaching deep. This, this, is, this is a question, something that's really dear, near and dear to your heart. I can tell that. So I just want to say she's not just you know, gosh, what do I say? There's this real thoughtful response that's being formed as I ask this question. And it's not a question that I necessarily prepared to ask Lisa. So yeah, the, this development of the guidepost and, and the values and the, the guiding principles, what was that process like? It was hard. I mean, I, I, um, I worked with a coach um, as I was, um, first of all, Ex, uh, sort of exploring whether I had the confidence to go out on my own and try to build something um, like figure eight, you know, bef- before it was figure eight. Um, and so there was that internal process um, and then really digging into the why. Um, so, um, you know, doing a lot uh, with, with the help of a, of an executive coach, doing a lot of, um, digging into um, oh the ultimate purpose of my work. I love to work, right? Um, and I am very fortunate in that I probably don't need to do um, at this stage of my life. Um, you know, I don't, I don't need to do something that's all consuming. I could go on a lot of nice vacations <laughs> instead, right? Um, so I, I, you know, I had to make some really hard decisions. Um, around what I personally want my contribution um, and the meaning of, of my work and my life to be, right? So, um, Lisa, I, you know... I, I don't want to interrupt you. I'm sorry, but, yeah, but yeah. I, I just have to because, folks, this is such an important part to, to really be intentional about purpose in business is tough. It, there's some really... Uh, heart searching that's required here to do this at a deep intentional way that and I'm I'm watching Lisa and I'm I'm just kind of giving that commentary that you're not able to see because you're just hearing the audio there was some real soul searching that happened and and I think that happens for all of us who are serious about connecting our personal and professional purpose. It's not something just to be taken lightly. There's some real hard work that has to be done to do this at the level that that Lisa's doing it. So I just want to commend you for that, Lisa. And I want to ask, have there been times you thought, well, well, gosh, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Why why don't I just check out? So what is it? Let me me ask you this, if if I may. What is it that keeps you pursuing this uh, more this the road less traveled oh it's um it's everything from our clients excitement at seeing how their portfolios are constructed right and saying thank you you know i was always told i couldn't do this before right now i have a portfolio that reflects my values and that i know you know i'm investing locally i can see the impact in the small businesses that get started down the street um that's wonderful to see um probably more than anything it's it's our team here at figure eight we have um um two of our team members who've um had their first children um while um 
you know, while employed here and, um, you know, they've, they're, they, they've bought first houses, at least in this country and, um, are, um, um, and they're sharing with their communities. They've become uh, go-to people for um, others um, who, uh, you know, have similar backgrounds to them. So they, they've become sort of resident experts, which is wonderful. So we're having a little bit of that viral effect already without formally incorporating it yet um, in what we're doing at Figure Eight. Those things, um, uh, yeah, help propel me through the hard times. And, and this is a really challenging industry. Starting a business is challenging. And almost no one does what I did, which is, um, starting an investment management firm with, you know, from zero. <laughs> and, uh, usually you're bringing some clients from someplace else and, you know, there's, there's some continuity and there's some revenue to start with. We, we started, um, uh, you know, day one, two years ago, um, saying, okay, <laughs> here's a blank slate. Let's do this. So it's definitely been challenging. And, um, um, but I can, I, I, I see the impact, um, uh, every day. Okay, so I, I just heard a lot of inspiration from the impact, the outcomes, and yeah. the, the direct impact of the the employees that are working yeah. with you, the impact of the investors. Let, yeah. let me ask, go, go, going back before that, who or yeah. what inspired you to launch out on this journey? Yeah, yeah. I think it's lots of people. I think, um, you know, the nuns nuns created the opportunity, right? Um, I mean, certainly my parents, you know, as I said, who, who, you know, had this this deep, still have this deep social consciousness. Um, I had the opportunity to work with a a firm, um, Trillium Asset Management, which is a pioneer in the social investment world. And um, the founder of that firm and my boss at the time was a woman named Joan Bavaria, who um, was sort of my um, mentor, um, a huge visionary, um, an exceptionally kind person, um, and um, uh, uh, who was able to combine those things, you know, having this, this enormous vision and the energy and ability to rally people to start some, you know, some of the backbones of, of mm-hmm. what our industry looks like now. Um, while also being this very approachable and, and exceptionally kind person on a personal level. Um, she passed away in, um, in late 2008 and, um, I, and, um, uh, she's still a huge, huge inspiration yeah. for me, um, mm-hmm. especially in that kindness and especially in the idea that, you know, I, I, I worked closely with her and watched her not always do everything right. Um, and, um, you know, as someone who, um, you know, personally has, has have a very strong um, uh, overachiever streak, <laughs> I push myself hard, um, and being right um, has always been so important to me. Um, and uh, she helped me see that um, um, being wrong or making mistakes can be um the most valuable thing that you do. And, um, you know, it comes back to that concept of resilience. I know that's a buzzword now, but... Um, um, but I would say that, you know, that that kind of inspiration, um, that was so core for mm. me to recognize. And I, and I didn't recognize it at the time. I didn't really recognize yeah. that as being an important part of, of what would inspire me to start my own firm. Um, until, until I was sort of digging deep to figure out whether or not I wanted to do this yes, and I, realized I, that, that every, that the people I admired most and Joan who had inspired me so much, um, made a lot of mistakes yeah. and kept bouncing back and bouncing back and bouncing back. And that I was going to go through that same thing. I had to be able to swallow making those 
you know, making those mistakes along the way. Yes. Um, getting it right, at least from the outset, is often overrated. Sooner or later, we have to get it right. But most of us want to get it right without ever getting it wrong. And yes. it just yes. doesn't happen like that. <laughs> right. we, we have to make some mistakes. Uh, so let, let me ask this from just this two year journey. OK, you've got this 25 year history of purpose powered work. Then you've got this two-year journey as a founder of this figure eight, uh, and, and then the co-founder of um, Global Talent Idaho. What, what's the encouragement from those lessons that you would offer somebody that's just getting started today? And, and maybe they're super worried about getting everything right, and maybe they're paralyzed from even starting because they're afraid they've got to get everything right or they can't get out of the starting gate. What would you say to them? Oh, I would say a couple things. I mean, one is that, um, you know, nothing, um, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, but, um, um, the, the risk of not doing something is something you, most people don't recognize, right. In their decision-making process. So, um, you know, you tend to look at, Oh, what happens if I do this and I fail? What happens if you don't do it? Weigh those things against each other. Um, the other thing is, I you know, at this stage in my life, um, and I'm in my mid fifties, um, I have, um, you know, I've certainly lost people near and dear to me. I have people very close to me, um, as most people, you know, my age probably do, um, have people who are who who know that their time is, you know, quite mm -hmm. limited, mm -hmm. and um, they are also huge inspirations to me. I would say to someone. You know, when it's cliche, life is short. Um, but what else are you going to do, right? <laughs> you have a passion to do something, to try something. Um, That's good. Get, you know, uh, leap. <laughs> leap. That's it. Yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I've talked about this with this in, in relationship to this podcast, Lisa. If I had waited to get everything right, it wouldn't have started yet. There was a point that we just said, we're doing this. And then we figured it out. Clarity comes through action. Clarity doesn't come when you're sitting there just contemplating, wanting everything to be figured out perfectly. Clarity comes through action. So just leap. Um, let, let me ask, our, our time's getting away from us. Is there something you'd like to share or say before we wrap up that makes this conversation complete for you? Um, I think that idea uh, that that there's so much opportunity to touch people with the work that you're doing, even in those small day-to-day -day decisions. I think mm -hmm. a lot of us, um, you know, look at big goals or big, big projects and think, oh, that's huge. Or we look at people who have accomplished amazing things and think, oh, I, I can't do that. But the fact is that, um, there are so many opportunities to incorporate purpose, no matter what, no matter what you're doing, you know, um, no matter where you are. And I think, you know, part of our work is in social investment is, is very judgmental. We look at some companies. I often get asked, you know, what's the worst company you know? And we could go down that path. We could talk about some bad corporate practices. But even in those companies that I would put in, you know, they're, they're, 
they're they're doing so they've got some harmful practices. There are some amazing people doing some wonderful things, and mm. um, you know, overall having a net very positive impact on the world in the way that they do their work. Everyone has that opportunity. Mm. Sometimes it's just wow. you know, opening opening your eyes a little or taking a little bit of a bit of a leap, a little bit of a jump. What a great place to end this conversation, Lisa. There's just so many opportunities to incorporate purpose no matter what you're doing or where you're doing it. So thanks for sharing that. For people that want to get connected and learn more about the the possibilities of impact investing or uh, the the talent initiatives you're working on, where, where would you direct them? Um, on the investing side, I would direct people to, um, first of all, our website, figureightinvesting.com. I would also inv- uh, direct people to um, the U.S. SIF, S-I-F, which is essentially our trade association for the um, sustain- sustainable, responsible, and impact investment um, world. Um, and on the um, uh the workforce development and training side, um, Global Talent Idaho is certainly a local resource. A national resource that's doing work along the same lines is Upwardly Global. And so um, okay. those are two things you can Google, Global Talent Idaho and Upwardly Global. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks, Lisa. What a rich conversation. There's several things that are still resonating in my mind as I've processed this conversation with Lisa. Let me call out three of those. Everything you do has an impact on others, underscoring everything. So think about that. Are you achieving the impact you desire? If not, remember Lisa's admonition that life is short. So what are you going to do about your passion and purpose today? The second takeaway is don't let the possibility of being wrong get in the way of creating immense value. There's so many times we've had it drilled in us how important it is to get it right, get it right. And we think we must get it right from the get-go. And there's really richness to be gained by making mistakes and reframing how we see mistakes. And then finally, I love the, the, the depth of discussion Lisa and I had. And the, the takeaway I have is that pursuing purpose might be harder than you think or harder than you think it should be. But it's also more rewarding than you ever imagine it can be. So if you're stuck with some mediocrity in in your business or life, and you really want extraordinary results, then I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to connect with you. And until we meet again here on the Higher Purpose Podcast or wherever else we happen to meet, remember to live, love, and lead with purpose. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Remember, if you ever think that your work could be less ordinary, there's not much between you and something extraordinary. Just 13 weeks and a bold experiment. Find out more at kevindemonroe.com slash extraordinary. 